Why do you think we love this story so much, the Noah story? Anybody? The animals, yes, the animals. What else do you remember about this story? The rainbow. What else? It's a, it's a big boat. It's a vessel. I, faithfulness, indeed. Heeding a call from God. The dove, the dove that gets sent out and comes back um, with a little sprig stating that they found life, land. Kelvin, the ark, yes, the ark, how big it is, the dimensions that we hear about today. Why else do you think we know it so well? The promise, yeah. And who can get over Everything in pairs, Noah and Mrs. Noah and all those animals, male and female, that's why we love it so much, isn't it? It's endearing to us, puzzles and toys and nursery wallpaper, all of those things. We know this story well, but as we start this story that we know well, I want to take us back to earlier in Genesis. It's Genesis 1, and after God had created the world and everything in it, we read that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. It's almost like after creation was made, God took a step, step back, much like a chef would do after she prepares a meal to take in the sight and aroma of what has just been created from scratch with ingredients fresh from the earth. It's a feast and it's created with care and intent. And for God, it was a world created to be good and nourishing. But just a few chapters after the beginning of Genesis, we hear now in this story, even though it's beloved, that this lavish dinner that God created is spoiling. God is not looking at his world as good any longer. He sees the evil in the hearts of humans who, who were created in his image. What has happened? One can sense anger is steaming from God's nostrils, but actually it's another emotion that's more prevalent. It's profound grief. We hear in chapter 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God's heart is broken. The wickedness and the self-interest that he has seen in each generation of humankind, that was not his intent. And what he sees is the human propensity for power and to abuse others in the quest to gain it. And now seeing the rapid manifestation of evil, God is deeply concerned. Something must change. So God decides to destroy the world he so carefully made. And his plan is this, he'll flood it to cleanse it. But for complete cleansing to happen, everyone must go. Except for one, we read, Noah, who found favor with God. 
Somehow a tiny seed of something in Noah's heart anchored himself to trust God and to live in accordance with God's intent, and that was to care for creation and all that inhabited it. So God calls Noah, he speaks to him, and he calls him to task. He must build a big vessel, that big boat that we love, with dimensions specific enough to house his family and a pair of all the creatures of the earth, something that can withstand the waves of destruction, but also something that can float on a sea of nothingness. Now, when I read this story, I wonder if Noah thought about what like life would be like after the rains stop, when the earth became nothing but a flooded basement with parcels and people of his former life now drenched and drowned beyond repair. How frightening it is to trust without knowing what is coming next. But Noah still heeds the call and he gets to work, focusing on God's blueprints not only for the ark, but hopefully for him and his family. As much as we love this story, God does not hold back from his destruction. The violent rain comes, and for more than a month, it's almost complete genocide. And there Noah and his family and all those animals toss and turn, lost at sea, without a shore or a future in sight. And then something changed. God changed God remembered. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him on the ark. And God made the wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. If you're going to remember anything about this story, remember this. It's the heart of the story. God remembers. There was something that touched God's heart and mind to go back and to think again about his intently crafted creation and the relationship he had created with Noah and all those various creatures. God couldn't walk away. God realized that the human heart will never be purified of its intent to serve itself or for its inclination for evil. So if humans aren't able to change on their own, maybe it is God that needed to change. So instead of breaking the bond, shutting the doors, and walking away, God decided to stay put, to reopen the world with an everlasting covenant. It's a promise. It would be a new beginning, a new creation, cleansed by the flood to call forth a new relationship with Noah, the animals, and all the earth from this time and forevermore. God decided to stay put and commit to an imperfect world and to sinful people. Even when things get really ugly again, and they do, God promises he will never destroy the earth again. So this means God chooses to work within the wickedness and the suffering to bring about his intent. And his intent is abundant life and the promise of forgiveness and purpose that can be found or unearth in creation as we know it. Now, we love that rainbow, but I didn't know if you knew this, that God placed the rainbow in the sky not for Noah, 
not for us, but for God himself. This is what we read in chapter 9. God said, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God sets the bow. He sets down his own weapon of destruction and he places it in the sky. So you know all those rainbows that we have seen so vividly over these last weeks? Those are given and placed to remind God that he still has skin in this game. I think of rainbows as like a post-it note for God saying, hey, I need to remember my creation and all that fills it. God hasn't forgotten his promise, his promise to be our God. In simple terms, the rainbow is this. God says, I'm all in, even with your flawed hearts. We know this story, don't we? But how does it relate to our own lives that's going on today? A couple things for us to think about. Number one, God remembers. The God we worship today is one who remembers you. In the midst of the flood, the struggle that you're faced with, now or any time when the seas are rising and you feel like you no longer can tread water, God remembers you and he's not walking away. And like Noah and the animals, you are not forgotten. The place of human peril is where God enters to save his people. It's the story in the Bible. It seems so strange, though, that God who could do anything chooses to fashion and create something new and unexpected from the wreckages of our lives. Number two, we're not supposed to just be listeners of this story. The story is not given to us so we can hold it and cherish it and make toys from it. It is proclaimed so we can be awakened. God commits to the future of an imperfect world and we're called to do the same. Like God, we have a decision to make at every moment. How we interact with other people in the world. Will we grant mercy and extend love Look out for creation and those forgotten? Or will we instead be so preoccupied with our lives that all we focus on is ourselves? There's something within our character as humans that we are inclined to strive for the perfect, a perfect world, a perfect life. But that's not what God promises us. It's not all about rainbows and butterflies. God promises to stay put in the chaos and to create new life, even in a deficient world. Now again, we can choose to play it safe by not getting involved. We get disappointed and we get angry at every turn when life does not go the way we would like it or when people disappoint us. 
But this kind of attitude is flat and self-serving as at best. If we're called like God to commit to an imperfect world, this means that we too need to get our hands dirty in the mucky cleanup of the recited floodwaters. Think about the promises that you have made in your marriage, to your kids, to your work, to your membership here at Mount Olivet. We commit to show up and to be faithful in our care and love, not thinking that it's going to be easy, but rather holding on and having those promises anchor us when things get rocky, and they do. Our human hearts will not miraculously cease from our wickedness and suffering will not end, but our hearts can be changed like God's. When we remember, when we remember the promise and we remember people, and it just so happens that how you interact in your daily life, as simple as that may be, maybe those actions that you show is how God is made known to someone else. The power is within us. It's etched on our heart. We're created in God's image to care for people and to love the whole creation. So if the rainbow we see is like God's post-it note to himself, to remind himself he's still all in, even when he gets angry, even when he sees us hurting each other, why can't we also have a reminder? What is that something in your life that you feel like it's too far gone for God to be involved? What is it right now, personally or in the world, that's just too big to bear? I invite you this week, write it down, just like you write down your to-do list, and stick it up and remember the promise. God is here, and it is in the here that he reclaims our brokenness. He's not walking away. There's a future in store for the world and for you. Stick that on your heart. Amen.